can't handle the truth. No, Jack, you can't handle the truth. See, the truth is that All Things Film offers the best value in free movie podcasts on the internet. That's right, free, as in it costs you nothing. Daily Grindhouse, Films and Swearing, a movie podcast. It was only a pound. La La Film, Maths Movie Side UK, Podcast on Fire, and of course, Film Sploitation, the All Things Film podcast. All free and all available online on iTunes, on the podcast app, on Stitcher, on TuneIn Radio, direct or from www.allthingsfilm.co.uk. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. See, as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a podcaster. All Things Film, the premium film movie podcast feed on the net. Listen to me, traitor. I believe that you've received the death message from our ninja empire. Ninja is supreme and you have double-crossed it. Why did you do that? I have to reform the ninja empire. That is why I took away it. That is why I took away it. The golden ninja warrior. The golden ninja warrior. You've got three days in which to return the golden ninja warrior. Right? Or else you die. What, 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 what is that? Or else you die. Go, go, go to hell. Welcome to the Golden Ninja Podcast 4 on US Catman Lethal Track and US Catman 2 Boxer Blow. And as mentioned in prior episodes, uh, IFD moved away from the ninja craze. It was uh, deemed, uh, you know, defunct or not uh, viable, financially viable anymore. So I guess it was time to try and find new content, uh, new angles. And they did. I mean, we talked of kickboxing content last episode, but they, around about 1989, there was a movie called Batman that came out and it was globally just big and everywhere. And I think IFD saw something in there. Uh, they wanted to make their own. Batman, their own superhero, uh, that was an inspiration. Certainly Spider-Man was out there regardless, even if there wasn't a movie out there. They probably thought Spider-Man and Batman combined would make not one, but two superhero movies. And those superhero movies uh, focused on Jonathan Iskar as Catman. That's right. You're scratched by a radioactive cat. You became Catman. So we get the starting vehicle for him here in two movies released, both in um, both were released in 1990. And we start with the first one called U.S. Catman, Lethal Track. It's not even Catman, it's U.S. Catman. And the uh, second one, the sequel, U.S. Catman 2, Boxer Blow. And we'll be looking at those for our sins. And uh, this is going to be talking with me as again, Neon Harbors, Ed Glazer, who I managed to rope in to talk about U.S. Catman. Meow. Yes, it's uh, that's the enthusiasm we have towards this uh, epic superhero tale of uh, of something. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, isn't it wonderful that IFT just pursued this, even if only for two movies? I doubt they wasted that much money. Or, or what do you think, Ed? <laughs> it's an interesting thing, actually, about superhero movies. They're not... Uh, it's sort of rare that uh, they're done by low-budget companies because uh, frequently these superhero movies have the real, the real ones, the Hollywood, you know, Hollywood ones or whatever, they've got big budget special effects. And the thing about big budget special effects is that you can't do them on no budget. So it's really rare that someone gets in on the action and decides to do one. And usually when they do, uh, the results are somewhat lacking. And so you get movies like, uh, 
Puma Man from Italy mm-hmm. or Turkish, uh, the Turkish Superman, Superman Returns. Uh, and uh, the, the effects are really uh, quite cheesy and, and silly. Um, even now, the, the company that the only company I can think of that would really be getting in on the current wave of superhero action is the Asylum. And uh, they've made a point uh, to say that they're not doing superhero movies. And I would guess that 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 the reason is the same. Um, The only time that they sort of bent that rule was doing a Thor movie because Thor is in the public domain and, uh, you know, they can get away with it. And it's, it's, you know, you just got a guy with a hammer and some, uh, electrical effects and you can probably get away with it and they did it was fine but uh it's rare it's a rare thing there you go that's the asylum uh not not necessarily you know ifd or what have you but um who 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 else could be ifd but ifd that's the that's the main point and they will talk up their brief uh brief superhero craze i mean do you think that's fair just go go back to my uh initial point in the outline do you think batman served as an inspiration uh to try and uh, cash in well, uh, chronologically, I'd have to say yes. Um, cause I don't know where else that that idea comes from. You know, because everything Joseph Lai kind of did, if you break it down very basically, like ninjas hot, we do ninjas. Hmm. Jean-Claude Van Damme, kickboxer hot. We do, we do kickboxer now. You know, Batman is everywhere. We do, we do one letter after that. We do Catman instead. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. It does. It does seem almost, uh, almost clinical. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's why I, I just I don't see him thinking, uh, you know what I've always I've always had a passion to do a superhero movie because uh, if he did that passion certainly isn't on the screen. Indeed, we we're honest about that from the get go, but it's a, it deserves a, a highlight in terms of giving you viewers for the first five episodes a basic overview of the genre dipping that IFT did using their cut and paste technique of of course buying, sourcing a movie from elsewhere, in this case Thailand, and shooting about uh, 10 or 15 minutes of new footage with their own cast and creating a new movie to be be released internationally on the international market, and therefore we have U.S. Catman. Um, Wouldn't it have have been great if they still had Richard Harrison and he got to be Catman? Like, just humiliation after humiliation, like you're Catman now. Dude, I, I would I would watch that twice. Yes, okay. Richard Harrison. I mean, we we've seen him like on the verge of looking like he wants to sink through the ground and die, you know, in a ninja movie. Imagine mm-hmm. if he was cast as Catman. Like, <laughs> mommy, help me! <laughs> I can't get out. I'm not sure the costume is any more ridiculous than some of the multicolored ninja costumes. Sure, so it's always it's, it's black and manly, you know. Mm-hmm. It's almost black in a way. Uh, but anyway, we'll get into the nitty gritty of uh, the Catman saga, the two epics, uh, in a little bit. But first of all, this is the Golden Ninja Podcast on the Podcast on Fire Network. We are located on podcastonfire.com. You can find the show, all the other shows. And the bonus episodes on there. One day, maybe we'll do a bonus episode. We'll see if uh, if we'll find some content to uh, put up exclusively on the website. But uh, we also have email for feedback. If you still use that, kids, podcast on fire at googlemail.com. We are on Facebook. 
like our page, facebook.com forward slash POF Network, and follow the link on that page to our discussion group with the various updates and chat. And you can also type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search box to get to the group. And follow our tweets at twitter.com forward slash Podcast on Fire. I write about, uh, among other things, Ninja and uh, IFD movies and Filmark, of course, over at SoGoodReviews.com. And I also do a little basic video review, spoken video, uh, spoken um, it's merely audio. You don't get me on screen, thankfully. So I just talk over, over movie clips at sleazykvideo.com. I mean, it started out more as a category free, like adult erotica horror uh, review website, you know, hence Sleazy K video. But it's, all, it's certainly mixed in, a bit mixed with uh, other types of uh, horror in this case, you know, Richard Harrison's exploitation and what have you. But uh, it, it's, it's all good. It's a. Uh, uh, it's digestible video reviews if you don't want to read the written ones. And I tweet at twitter.com forward slash so good reviews. Uh, the Golden Ninja podcast is on iTunes. Rate and subscribe to us uh, over there, Apple's iTunes. And if you have the time, please leave a small written comment that will act perfectly as a review and that will certainly help us to get some exposure. So thank you very much if you do so. And finally, if you can't. Um, if you can't or won't download a podcast to your device, stream us on Stitcher Radio. They have an online service, but you can also download their application for the various smart devices out there, including the iPhone, iPad, and the Android. And finally, on my end, a uh, plug that uh, you haven't heard before, uh, we'll link to a YouTube documentary that the uh, This Week in Sleaze, the great George Joshua Regal, has put together on IFD. He called it Weird Cinema. IFT Films and Arts. This is a around about 20, 25 minute documentary uh, using um, uh, just research clips and uh, his uh, spoken word uh, to give you all a basic overview of what IFT Films and Arts were about. And as far as I can see, there's no misinfo here. You know, Josh has, you know, he's got it down. He knows for a fact that just because it says Godfrey Hall's Robo Vampire. It doesn't mean that it is Godfrey Hall's Robo Vampire. You know, he's one of those that has not been uh, polluted by that misinfo out there on the internet. So uh, check that out, Weird Cinema, Episode 1, IFD Films and Arts. And that means that it will be a series uh, that goes a little bit more in-depth uh, on the various players, including Richard Harrison, Stuart Smith, and uh, Bruce Barron, Mike Abbott. And uh, so I'm looking forward to more. And uh, in the meantime, check out his YouTube documentary and learn the hashtags. I'm trying to teach your kids about the correct hashtags when talking about all of this. Hashtag yes, Godfrey Ho, and hashtag not Godfrey Ho. So learn to differentiate and we'll, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll talk using those hashtags. I mean, in the case of you as Catman, it's not Godfrey Ho. It's still IFD. But it's not Godfrey Ho. Almost becomes complicated, but there you go. Uh, Ed, you um, people know by now uh, where you are on the web, but still do a little basic uh, plugging, plugging thing and let us know where you are. Absolutely. You can find me and uh, my work, including my IFD-inspired comedy series Ninja the Mission Force, at neonharbor.com. I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash neonharbor and on Twitter at neon underscore harbor. Now, be honest with me, uh, you obviously never saw uh, the U.S. Capcom uh, movies prior to uh, making uh, Ninja the Mission Force. If you had seen them, do you think you would have wanted a sort of slight referencing mention of U.S. Capcom in there? Or it's it, it's not rife with creative ideas, the idea of U.S. Capcom? Uh, it would have been difficult, I think, to, to integrate that. Um, and it's also, it's not as well known. 
that's true. It's it's obscure even five D. You're right. Uh, but yeah, maybe maybe in a potential season three, four, or whatever. You know, there you just, go. Yes. You know, just for my sake, put a poster there in the background. <laughs> Absolutely. But anyway, we are going to talk of the first movie in this epic saga called U.S. Catman Lethal Track from 1990. And the plot, and it's a beautifully fair one by IMDb user Time Chaser. I mean, it's obviously making fun of the movie, and but it's also very fair. We, we're not here to make fun of IFD. We love IFD, but at the same time, believe me, this is fair. So... Uh, because I, I couldn't write the plot even if I tried it. So uh, thankfully someone did. But anyway, one half of the movie follows a guy named Sam and his friend Gus around. And Sam, I believe, is uh, Jonathan Iskar. And Gus is Kenneth Goodman from Kickboxer King. The bad guy from Kickboxer King. Sam gets scratched by a radioactive cat in a fight with some wacky drug addicts and achieves amazing superpowers. He then puts on a stupid costume and decides to fight some bad guys using using his new powers. Uh, and one of his opponents is crazed priest uh, named Cheever. Uh, the other half of the movie is about a whole bunch of Asian people that are just beating each other up for no reason, including a tall guy with an eye patch and a woman that looks like a man. You know, it's kind of it, it's kind of like a you know, snide, but still, it's fair. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So again, it's a cut and paste production using no budget footage by IFD's Alton Chung. Again, this is not an AKA for Godfrey Ho. Alton Chung, whoever this gentleman actually was, uh, was was one of the directors for hire at IT, but that stayed on, you know, and made quite a few of uh, these movies. I mean, last episode, both movies were by Alton Chung, Kickboxer King and Kickboxer the Champion. And uh, this is, oh, as I said, this is a U.S. Catman versus a religious cult. We get an origin story for U.S. Catman, and it mer- it's merged with a no-budget actioner from Thailand, starring popular actor Sorapong Chatri. I mean, uh, I've never seen a Thai movie with Sorapong Chatri, but I've seen about a dozen of IFD Filmark movies where Sorapong Chatri uh, was in. Because, um, you know, chances are, if you bought a Thai movie, he was the star, and uh, rightly so. I mean, he was a superstar in, in Thailand and one of the few in these movies that oozed a little bit of charisma. Uh, but uh, that's as far as I know about, about him uh, through, the, through the exposure here. He always got his own credit. You know, he was never like uh, you know, Sam Chance or something like that. He was always Sora Pong Chatri, as far as I know, or most of the time anyway. When all of this was merged, uh, we got a fairly different IFD experience. I mean, it was cut and paste, but we got some other form of colorful content as we've uh, established again it's a superhero movie and uh, that's uh, that's special that deserves one podcast and that's probably all it's ever going to get in the history of podcasts is one but uh, we had to provide you with it and but by the way you can see uh, i forgot to mention the sora punk chatri uh, the movies he starred in in Thailand uh, ended up being source movies in the likes of IFD's Ultimate Ninja, starring Stuart Smith, Robo Vampire, Robert Filmark, uh, but also complete versions of his movies got presented 
merely dubbed by IFD because that's what they did too. And they presented a movie called Raiders of the Doomed Kingdom. And apparently it's also known as Cobra Man, which I think is probably an export title that IFD were not responsible for. So yeah, there you go. It's a, it's a, it's a fairly big uh, Thai military action movie. Uh, not as low budget as uh, these two, but uh, there you go. And uh, we don't know the names of uh, the original movies used for both U.S. Catman 1 and 2. And certainly I don't know Thai, so I can't uh, present you with that. We don't have any directing credit to production here. But what we will do at least is link to each of the posters for the original Thai movies. Uh, the first one used for Lethal Track, U.S. Catman 1, is according to uh, Jesus Perez Molina, who provided us with the posters, it's a lost movie, the first one. It's not available in Thailand, and I think he has some contacts uh, at the Bangkok Film Institute and has kind of got the confirmation that they don't have a print of this uh, first movie. Uh, the, the second one is available complete on Thai VCD, or at least was, so you can see the original movie that uh, U.S. Catman 2 Boxer Blow acquired uh, and uh, made into a cut-and-paste movie. Uh, by the way, just a continuous question, have you ever had any interest in uh, uh, watching original uh, uh, full-length Thai action movies um, uh, during your viewing habits over the years? Um, you know, the Thai ones are ones that I haven't quite gotten into very much, but that's really not out of disinterest. It's sort of out of uh, – I found myself focused elsewhere, so I haven't really had the time to delve deeper into it. I mean, I think Filmok gave them a pretty neat showcase, even if we only got glimpses of the movies so obviously being uh, being cut up and uh, and uh, reassembled. But, uh, you know, if you ever see a movie called Dark Day Express, it's a Filmok-presented movie. It's a complete movie that uh, Panna Ritikra at least uh, was in. I don't know if he directed it. And it's, uh, for Thailand, extremely high budget. And uh, let's say 70% pretty much boredom. And then the last half hour or what have you, is an absolutely mad, big-budget stunt showcase. You know, you remember Kickboxer King. That was a low-budget stunt showcase that was great, but this is Thailand really pulling out all the stops. Uh, so um, that, that, that you got to check out. It has a Western cast member, I think it's German, really big, muscular guy, but I'm blanking on the gentleman's name for now. So that's a recommendation if you want to check out something uh, over in Thailand. Yeah. Um, we mentioned lead Jonathan Iskar, billed as Jonathan James in this movie, and he's a fairly familiar face to the Jet Li and Jackie Chan crowd. That's a, you've seen him in notice, noticeable Guaylo roles in Choi Hak's Once Upon a Time in China, where he plays the merchant called Jackson. And his uh, largest role, I think, is in Jackie's uh, movie Armor of God 2, Operation Condor, where he plays Taza, uh, uh, he's part of the bumbling duo of uh, Westerners that appears frequently throughout the movie. So it's uh, one of his biggest exposures, I think, uh, working in Hong Kong cinema. Uh, but he also divided his time between both IFD and Filmark, and uh, uh, because um, it was fairly, not I wouldn't say easy, but uh, it seemed to make sense that some of the minor Western players in actual Hong Kong movies uh, got a chance to be leads over at IFD and Filmark due to their exposure elsewhere. They could maybe use that in marketing. I mean, Mark Houghton got one or two lead roles, and certainly here, Jonathan Iskar, at this time, he was in Hong Kong and got to um, be a lead and or co-lead in, in a couple of movies. Um, he's in over at Filmark, Ninja American Warrior, plays the blonde... Uh, a blonde bad guy, and as well as in Ninja Phantom Heroes USA, 
versus the same lead. I think they shot this at the same time. And that is the movie, I believe, Ed, uh, that's also known as Ninja Empire, that you put out a Ninja the Mission Force Riffs DVD. Uh, that's right, yes. Yeah. Not the greatest movie, but you, you you got some riffing out of it at least. <laughs> yes, and I think it, it was my it was my first uh, cut and paste movie, the first one I'd ever seen. Uh, so uh, back to Jonathan Iskar, uh, he's of Australian descent, um, and he was backpacking in Hong Kong and got spotted by a movie producer, and uh, he was offered the films. So it kind of uh, is what happens during this time. Uh, Westerners were in uh, demand for either action uh, roles or uh, to be, uh, you know, police uh, inspectors or what have you. They just went to these uh, this uh, chunky mansions, this uh, cheap uh, hostel or hotel, and they they, they often got these uh, guidos there. And I'm sure IFD got them uh, using that technique as well. And uh, Jonathan described in an interview with Hong Kong Cinemagic, you know, being a backpacker one day and being in movies kind of the next day. So, quote, next thing, I'm a Russian windsurfer instructor comes by fighting the infamous Golden Ninja in a public park, doing scenes with uh, ninja star knives hanging off a bit of fishing line with fireworks attached, uh, using plastic guns, and uh, there would be makeshift explosives as well. I don't know. <laughs> it's adventurous, I suppose. I mean, uh, it's it's uh, it's definitely the, the Filmark experience he's talking about because Filmark uh, made it their mission for a few movies to uh, go all out with the action endings. It was it was not just one ninja versus another ninja for one minute and then the end. They had uh, you know fireworks and uh, explosives and, uh, and uh, for them or for any for a ninja action movie in general from Hong Kong high-concept action endings, and he was thrown into that. It's uh, it's kind of fun. And uh, he had a background in gymnastics as well, uh, Jonathan. He trained with uh, friends and fellow actors Bruce Fontaine, who's in this movie. He was in Kickboxer King. Uh, Ken Goodman, again, his Catman co-star. And uh, Mark Houghton, they trained with uh, all of them in martial arts. And uh, just to fast, fast forward, he currently lives in Bangkok, if this info is uh, relevant. And uh, he works in the mining industry, of West Australia as well during certain times of the year. And uh, he stopped making movies in 1997. Um, he, uh, his last credit was Mr. Nice Guy, uh, Jackie's movie that was shot in Australia. So, But he did appear, I didn't know this until I checked today, in a 2012 movie called Trade of Innocence that uh, starred Dermot Mulroney and Mira Sovino, and it was lensed in Thailand. So presumably he was cast out of Bangkok and got a small role there. I mean, he's a uh, He's like 9 for 10 in the cast list at IMDb, which indicates a smaller role at best, a few scenes, you know. But uh, there we go. Um, so that's, uh, that's it on the background info. Let's uh, go into the actual review. Jesus, what was that all about? I don't know, but do you need a doctor? No, I'm okay. Just those damp scratches from the cat. Better report it to the cops. Yeah. And uh, let's uh, get your brief opinion first of the... First Catman movie, U.S. Catman Lethal Tracked. What did you think of this epic masterpiece? It's awful, but it's not as awful as the second one. If if you were interested, you know, it's it's not one that is probably worth sitting through the whole ninety minutes. But if you watch the trailer of it, um, I think you'll get a pretty good idea. And keep in mind that I, I was really excited about it going into it. I, I wasn't I wasn't dreading it. I'd been wanting to see this movie for an, a number of years. Remember, and, uh, I didn't say they were good. <laughs> you know, I, I'm temper your expectations, my friend. <laughs> yes, uh, but I guess I was I was still uh, I oh, was no, naive. No, 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 it's Catman, dude. <laughs> yeah, Catman, come on, and it's. I just I wanted it to be more, and uh, knowing how they would IFD would would really 
go for it with the uh, ninja movies. Um, I was kind of I was I was expecting more, and I, I have the suspicion that um, maybe it was the hand of Godfrey Ho that really was uh, responsible for some of the the craziness and and the fun that is simply not present when uh, Alton Chung is in charge. But that's just a guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he wasn't uh, at the company, uh, at least they're not directing. I think he, for a little while he stayed in editing, but ultimately left uh, uh, and uh, before this movie was made. But uh, I, I agree, it's not good or particularly memorable, but it's due to a very incoherent plot uh, as reassembled by IFT. And uh, the thing is, in the Thai movie, we don't get, it's an action movie, yeah, but we don't get Pana Cry, Daredevil, stunt action scenes, I mean... Uh, most of the time when Thai movies were used, and I, I'm not talking down on the cinema, but movies that they did get most of the time, they were not bringing the, the house down. Um, so that that's a problem too, that the Thai side of the movie is really, really boring. Uh, not, not as boring as the second movie, <laughs> uh, but the light and silly tone of the IFD storyline is in part quite delightfully dumb, and I wished for more of that. That's exactly right, is that it just it needed more of the Catman story, and every time you hoped that you were going to get some more of that, uh, you'd get another boring uh, scene from this Thai movie where you couldn't quite figure out what was going on. Yeah, I, I had to make notes to uh, kind of uh, figure out the basics of uh, the plot here, but uh, it's tough when uh, uh, when it's uh, hidden in very poor exposition dumps that I that I that IFD is particularly awful at in these two movies. I found that uh, while I could never really quite grasp the details of what was happening, you know, the general plot is pretty straightforward. I mean, in the Catman movie, Catman has to uh, stop this evil cult leader. Well, 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 in their footage, no problem. But when they, uh, what's going on in the Thai movie, that's where the incoherence uh, comes in. Yeah, where where the eye patch guy is trying to overthrow the government by kidnapping this general, and yeah. uh, I guess this other guy has to kind of stop them. I'm like, okay, I, I get that, but that's about all I I follow. Do you think they were trying to be sixties Batman, but uh, seeing as they were so uh, light, uh, trying to do a light banter and be funny, uh, Jonathan Iskar and Kenneth Goodman? I, you know, I don't know. It seemed it seemed like it just felt like IFD stuff. It's it felt like kind of IFD patter you know, sort of fluffy dialogue that doesn't really mean anything. And uh, you know what? No, I'm sorry. I, I do. I take that back. Uh, at one point, um, Catman gets a bit of uh, uh, some piece of evidence and he says, um, "We let's let's get this back to the cat computer system and check it out. I'm like, <laughs> okay. I'm like, that does sound like 60s Batman. So maybe, maybe there was somebody had a remembrance of the series or something, but it didn't really feel like they were trying to do that. I mean, if so, it was a spare-of-the-moment thing, I believe, because we've heard on record Western players saying that these scripts weren't necessarily very full when they got them in their hands, you know, mm-hmm. and they probably were made up a little bit on the spot, too. Going back to the beginning, again, Jonathan Iskar is credited as Jonathan James, as we said, but and we get some peculiar cast credits here. I mean, again, Sorapong Chatri, his original credit is there, but then you get... Whoever this guy was gets this credit, and it must be even made up, and if not, it's genius. Uh, one of the cast members is called Blue Moroni. That's my favorite color of Moroni. <laughs> it's it's not even, like, again, Steve Chan or Hilda Lau. Or it's, no, Blue Moroni. Maybe it's the cheaper guy. I don't know. I, I've, I've never seen him. And this movie even gets a special effects directing credit. And here, you know, here's where they really are making up credits, unless... 
the special effects director was the guy who turned the TV off and on as Catman was mimicking having the powers to turn the TV off with his mind. Now, that's that's an interesting uh, uh, topic in itself because... Is it really? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it's I find it sort of curious at the very least. He, so Catman uh, is scratched by a radioactive cat. Uh, he wakes up in the middle of the night or at some point and discovers that he has the power to turn the television on and off at will and the lights and other electric devices. And then his friend comes in and he tells his friend, man, I can do all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, well, can you light this cigarette? And he's like, I don't know. I'll try. And then, like, he thinks really hard, and then, like, he lights the cigarette. And he's like, and then the friend's like, well, do you have any, do you have, like, super strength or anything? And suddenly, out of nowhere, Jonathan Isgar says, I feel so strong. I can punch through this wall. And then he does it. And I guess his powers are completely arbitrary. And this is my favorite part because uh, he has the, he was, he was scratched by a cat. But ha- but has completely uncat like arbitrary powers. Yes, yes. But when but when coming up with his secret identity, he felt like he felt some sort of obligation to the origin of his powers, and thus becomes Catman, despite having no cat anything. Exactly. He, but he does he does put a cat logo on his members only jacket and uh, has some really sweet. Ray bands with uh, or or blue blockers really with uh, like a cat logo on them. Is that what they call? Because I, I watched, I saw those. Like, yeah, they look like glasses, but it looks like a big old plastic, like bulky thing that maybe was uh, you know modern fashion in the nineties. I don't know, but it looks like hey. It reminded me of those blue blockers from the from the early nineties. They were they were heavily modified. I was scratched by the cat. I think I may have been charged up with radiated energy. Some supernatural power. Can you give me a light with your laser vision? I don't know. You want me to try it? Hold up your cigarette. Stop joking around. Do you have super strength or something? I feel so strong. Huh? I feel I could punch a hole in a fucking wall. Hmm? <coughs> wow, Sam, you're the most incredible person I ever met. You should work for the CIA. If anything, going back to the special effects direction, when he lights the cigarette, at least that's pulled off, you know, because clearly someone is there under the frame uh, and uh, who lights the cigarette, and at least they pull it off, you know, that, that's that's what he did. You know, it's not uh, it's not terribly embarrassing. Uh, uh, you know, on a low budget, that's what I was would be aiming to do as well, like uh, have someone light it from underneath the frame, but uh, but yeah, it's not very cat-like. Again, it's not very unusual, but at, compared to other movies that I think this one starts with the Source movie, rather than having uh, their own actors set up the basic plot. You know, this is not Ninja Commandments, where the ninjas are all gathered, and you wonder where Rodney and Janet are. Cut to Rodney and Janet, no. This starts out uh, with the Source movie, and Boxer Blow is the same. Where, uh, So it's like, I don't, don't think they focused a lot on this, but um, they clearly didn't feel desperate to show early on. It is. They have white people in it. We have white people in it. We promise. You know, they just edit it uh, this way and, uh, and uh, trusted that the market would would like it. I doubt the market uh, craved Catman in uh, in droves when they when they put it up. But um, but but there it is. It's it's a little bit of deviation from the IFD uh, concept, if you will. It's not the Catman that they need, but it's the Catman they deserve. <laughs> exactly. And, of course, these guys, you know, Sam and Gus, they're American guys because uh, in their first scene, they've been baseball training, you know. 
<laughs> you know, it seems so stereotypical. Like where they they got their gloves, they got their baseball bats, they got their baseball gear, and they they they've been playing baseball in Hong Kong because of and all and one of them is uh, is going to be a clerk at the CIA. In, indeed, indeed, it's a it's a, a bright future for these guys. Uh, and uh, we meet the Bruce Fontaine in a small role again, the lead of Kickboxer King, the guy who was taking enhancement drugs, but then comes back as a, as a conquer, conquering warrior, if you will. And uh, he uh, has the job of uh, delivering to whoever this radioactive cat and has some fantastic dialogue. Shit. In all my years, I've delivered some things, but a radioactive cat? Shit. Yeah, well, I've heard that this cat has had some pretty amazing experiments on it. It's supposed to be quite a bomb, you know, so don't drop the fucking thing, all right? That is funny in itself, but it, it's on the theme of casual, very forced swearing in these two movies as well. Even I, who's not a prude and I don't care about swearing at all, it doesn't affect me, it doesn't offend me. But these guys are just uh, like kids swearing just because it's bad, because the parents say it's bad and they do it because they can it's a uh, it's you know it's shit this fuck that cunt that you know it's uh, really in guys really in. It, it's not you're not tarantino as i've said in prior podcasts so they're really going for that hard r rating really really hard r rating and uh, they, they they try some banter here some fantastic quotes here between bruce fontaine and uh, the guy i think it's um uh, he's uh, it's a chinese uh, cast member and uh, they, they talk about this thing like don't drop the fu- fucking thing and uh and uh, I don't care if I'm delivering piss as long as I get paid. And speaking of piss, this is the dialogue from the movie, I got a piss. So these guys, the delivery man, they're trying to have like these, uh, this comedic banter too. And uh, it's, uh, it, it's, that's fun. But the swearing is almost off-putting in its forced ways, which is uh, kind of great. Just uh, because it's so out of the blue and doesn't uh, feel like... Uh, you know, free-flowing, normal dialogue or anything. But uh, It doesn't help that everybody's accents are just way over the top. Um, the, the, there's a couple of, uh, and I'm, I imagine we'll talk about this, but there's a couple of uh, thugs that come up, and man, they're, they're doing this southern United States accent, and they, uh, they're desperate for any kind of drugs. And one of them is, is remembering some previous drug that they took, and it was like, man, that was a great rush. <laughs> You're from, South- from southern Hong Kong. Fuck, man. I haven't had any gear for days. I need a hit or something. Anything. Father says our credit's fucked. We'll have to fight it or steal it from somewhere else. And it has to be said that uh, Jonathan Eastcourt does not dub, him, uh, dub himself, but the dubber they got for him is... Uh, it's, uh, he's a man, all right. You know, he's, uh, he talks like, uh, <laughs> tries to talk like a hard action uh, movie and a uh, hero, rather. Uh, and I won't try to approximate that. You'll just have to listen to the various quotes I put in in the recording. But uh, one reason why I think it, it it could be hard again to sell various people the the idea of live D movies being fun. Not that this is the example that you should use, listeners. But they do this even in the good movies. They they do this horrid exposition dumps where they produce these movies so fast that they just place a scene or two where people using very like, like using very muddled delivery during the dubbing that is then so to say enhanced through the very muddled sound quality on these movies and they just dump all the exposition exposition about who is who who is doing what and they, they just mumble it and then the scene is over and you're left completely at least i am uh, befuddled in terms of who is what, who is doing who, uh, who is doing who, <laughs> who is doing what. Uh, it, it's, wor- it's worse in Box of Blow. Here you can kind of like, yeah, 
there's something about the Russians and uh, some mercenaries and the general they want to kidnap. Creating the United Nations of Asia. Yeah, they want to create some new utopia and what have you. But it's just placed there. And that's why the filmmaking is certainly nothing to write home about. And not as fun compared to other movies. Doing the same thing, but the, because the other movies, like some of the ninja movies, they bring some energy at least. But here it's like... Uh, okay, the movie's about this. Let's have a scene where you guys talk and then never talk to each other again. Good. Exposition done. Cut print moving on. I'm representing my country to join in your greatest thought of ever, the United Nations of Asia. Oh, how nice to hear a compromise agreement was at last arrived at. According to the research of our economic department, Asia will be the most prosperous area in the 21st century. Also, this area is so rich in all kinds of resources, but we don't have much influence in Asia. Now we have even lost the North Vietnam. So, we can build our utopia, the UNA. It doesn't help that most of the names, with the exception of Cheever, what on earth kind of name is that? It's delightful. Um, everybody has first a first name only, and it's Jeff or Pete or Jerry or Mike or George, Alan. You can never uh, figure out who's who because they're all, they all have boring American first names. <laughs> that, that, that indeed, you never put an identity to them easily. And also in this movie, they... The guy delivering the exposition dump is hiding about uh, behind a thick, fake Russian accent as well. So it's extra muffled because the sound quality isn't very good, and it's a heavy Russian accent. When the Russians, utopia, supernation, something, something, something. Um, so they, they don't get a pass in that in that department, the, the exposition, which is the hardest thing to do in, not the hardest, but a great, great hard thing to do in movies. You know that as a filmmaker to, you know, tell the audience what's going on in a way that doesn't, uh, you know, become embarrassing, embarrassingly bad. And here's an example where it is kind of bad. Absolutely. So there it is. I mean, again, the, the actor direction isn't uh, isn't very good either, of course, because we um, it's stiff actor direction, which is uh, why it's kind of extra hard to get through too. It's it's uh, the most entertainment still is in the IFD scenes, as we said, and I mean uh, you 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 detail the great finding out. What his powers are, that he has powers uh, in a very darkly lit scene where he has falling asleep. He's fallen asleep at night watching, you know, a workout program or a workout tape of some kind. And uh, it's not it's not even a workout. It's just like ladies in swimsuits, and the camera is just focused on their butts. It's just butts, <laughs> and then cut to butts, and then cut to butts. There you go. And then more butts. Yeah. <laughs> that, that'll inspire anyone to watch people. Workout using their butts. It's the butts program. So Catman enters. I mean, they, they, this movie doesn't have time to show in like a Peter Parker fashion him discovering his cat powers and all of that. It's not like all of a sudden he has nine lives and they kill him eight times in the movie. It's just boom. Catman exists now, you know, in, in a latter scene. He's got his costume and he's got his, uh, his uh, glasses and he's got his cat logo and he can deflect bullets very easily, and uh, it's a well-developed hero in a the suit. As you know, you know, it's not award-winning costume design. This, but uh, I do dig sort of the creation of Catman visually. I mean, it's it's amusing to look at and in motion as well. You know, not only a screen crap cap from the internet, but it's kind of amusing and glorious to look at during these bursts of Catman that we that we get throughout these movies. Uh, I, I do dig these scenes a lot. They're, they're light and they're very stupid, but um, that's a good choice. I think being light and very uh, stupid. 
Like if I if I could have had an entire Catman movie with none of the the B movie uh, footage, I would have been thrilled. Oh yeah, it would be so great. I think Elton Chung, I think had that energy in him, but you know, company dictated that we're not making you know a Ninja Operation Night and Warrior here where. Most of the footage is ours. <laughs> uh, so, so unfortunately, it's this 10, 15 minutes of uh, very sparse uh, footage. And uh, in, in terms of action, there, there's nothing here. I mean, uh, Catman is a is a, a puncher, really, and that's um, that's all there is. Uh, Jonathan Iskar is not showcasing any martial arts in this uh, movie, but uh, for for these few seconds that they do occur, these uh, these 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 brawls and the punches and what have you it's it's fine for what it is and uh, and uh, i do enjoy these scenes and at the end of this first scene i think they found uh, they find uh, the remains of a bomb and they find a clue on that and what is it they say let's go and check let's go and check it cat confused oh well, i i remember the is, wasn't that the bit where he says let's we have to go check it out on the cat computer system maybe it was that it just sounded to me cat confused <laughs> Which made me laugh so much. Like, yeah, he doesn't know what it is. Maybe he is confused. But, uh, you know, that quote will go into the show anyways. I'll listen very clearly what it is. It's either computer system or cat confused. Looks like the top of the tube. Maybe to tell us something about those punks. Yes, it could. Let's go and check it out now, cat computer system. But uh, (laughs) there you go. It was funny regardless. You know, it it was a scene that you and I remember. So there you go. Before we go into a little bit uh, more in the Thai footage, I like the scene where uh, Sam and Gus are uh, pushing uh, one of the uh, informers or what have you for information, and they don't need to give him money. They just have to buy him fast food. You know, uh, 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 coffee, uh, give me hamburger, give me me some french fries. You know, it's one that, sure, not a problem. That'll only be a few bucks, essentially, like... Can you can you put can you put that can you put the 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 audio from that scene in I here? I will. I will. <laughs> it's like the it's like the most easy informer that you they're looking for achievers or whereabouts at this point. So where is he? Where's the festival? Because he's gonna have some gathering of some sort. And when we see that gathering, I don't think anyone is there except for achievers, uh, henchmen, and what have you. Hey, buddy, we want to ask you a few questions. Buy me a cup of coffee. Sure. If you answer a few questions, you recognize this logo. Well, I think so, yeah. That's gonna cost you a cheeseburger. Okay, coffee and a cheeseburger. <laughs> oh, one of those strange churches. Holy Cheever Church! Was there any, uh, let, let me just kind of put you on the spot to kind of make the listeners uh, find this out. Was there any uh, particular interaction between the movies? Uh, like any phone calls, any dialogue between uh, the different shoots to make it seem like they're in the same room? Was there any of that kind in this movie? I don't think there was any of it. If there was, I had completely tuned out. But um, I just think that they talk about it because they say that they're uh, they're trying to take over the world or start the United Nations of Asia as a utopia, and they're going to start with Thailand because there's a bunch of stuff going on there, and they're going to kidnap this general, and they've got this guy in place who's doing that, and they, they just do it. You're right. It's merely it's that technique of merely just dubbing in the fact that the Thai footage, um, they also know of Cheever Church, and they're doing this for the church. So it's, um, it's even faster overproduction because they don't need to do any phone scenes. They don't need to do any... Any uh, fake uh, fake dialogue uh, in the same room types of types of scenes here. So it's just events that are going on in the other movie, and uh, that the villains 
in uh, in IFD's plot of supposedly puppeteering or something, you know. Why not join forces and fuck up those bandits together? How about it? <laughs> that sounds great. This motherfucker thought he was real smart and helped the other guy get away. Should I kill him? So, so the time movie, when I watch these types of low-budget time movies that are present in Lethal Track and Box of Blow, it doesn't make me go out and seek out Thai cinema because it's... It is not really appealing as such. The, these are low budget, mostly shot outside in standing locations that never translates into gritty locations that serve the story well. And there's no real fire here or fuel like in the Panna Ritty Cry movie that was used in Kickboxer King. Uh, so that's my basic like statement about the Thai movie. Uh, what do you think? Uh, does it offer up anything? No, I mean you're absolutely right. The um, the Panaritakrai uh, films, you you just you can get uh, even if you don't know what's going on, you can become mesmerized by the really uh, fantastic, spectacular martial arts action and stunt work. Um, here, there's nothing. It's the the action is dulled. You don't care about the characters. They've uh, IFD's kind of chopped up the movie anyway, so that what little sense there might be in the complete film uh, has been excised. And so you're kind of left waiting for Catman to come back. You are. And, uh, I mean, it's 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 a very low-budget Thai action industry, or, or was. Uh, I, I get that. And it's and anyone trying to produce movies and on, on this scale, you know, and making action movies, that's admirable. But it's nothing I truly connected to uh, as such. I mean, there, there are some... One action scene involving, I think, the uh, the girl that everybody thinks is a man, apparently, uh, at one point is riding her motorbike. She has uh, both her feet on the handlebars and um, is firing a shotgun at uh, the moving um, the car that's coming towards her. And th- th- there's some minor stunt work here that's is perfectly uh, all right. But uh, it's, again, just like Catman is available in bursts, the fun that he represents. It's the same here, but it's even less of that... Um, Good, uh, apparently, financially, it was good to turn to Thailand, though, for IFD and Filmark. Clearly affordable if you look at how many movies they did source from Thailand. I just have a feeling that the quotes that they got, uh, you know, uh, talking to Thai producers or what have you, or distributors, were probably good uh, quotes compared to maybe uh, going to Hong Kong or some some Taiwan action. But um, again, that's basically speculating, but... uh, I have a feeling uh, that uh, they could come to an agreement uh, quite often. In the Thai movie, it's not much, but uh, I've heard examples of this, that they fill their movies with comedy. There is some awful comedy here. Yeah, I think in a Sora Punk Chattery fight scene, that at the very tail end of it, uh, they, someone kicks a tree, a uh, coconut or something falls down, and uh, then the fight scene is over, and then there's a smelly feet joke uh, involving some high-pitched, clownish, um, high-pitched as dubbed, clownish character available in the Thai movie and it's annoying in Hong Kong movies usually uh, seeing the glimpses of Thai comedy as filler is annoying too uh, but, but, but thankfully the movie isn't filled with that but um, yeah so do, do you remember any any action highlights from the Thai movie or it's a pretty much a dull experience for us? No I think you, you mentioned the only uh, memorable bit which was uh, the gal 
uh, with her feet up on her motorcycle while driving it while firing a shotgun. It's pretty spectacular and, and is uh, it's not worth the price of entry, but uh, it's one of those sort of YouTubeable clips. Uh, yeah, and the gunplay overall is really stale too. I mean, they weren't trying to, or maybe couldn't, or didn't want to, you know, and mimic like a John Woo style, like slow motion spectacle or anything. But it's it's just you know shooting back and forth uh, between police and army maybe towards uh, henchmen that arrives in you know in their own clothes you know we're not talking henchmen that are dressed up and they're not really like dashing or anything people just arrive in their t-shirt and jeans and it doesn't translate to you know a gritty like thai village gangster warfare type of time and i i, I would love for it to be that but it's just um low budget filmmaking and not infused with a lot of passion for it either this it doesn't seem to be any um snap to it or any uh, action energy to it um uh, maybe it worked for the local audience I, I i obviously don't have the box office for this original movie but and the poster certainly looks fantastic but no it's it's pretty stale so that, that that's really the time movie can you guys spare me a few fucking minutes huh? how many times have i told you it's a sin if you don't listen you'll burn in hell Oh, this bullshit, man. Who's murmuring down there? There would be no sadness, no pains, no tears and remorse in hell. You guys could enjoy the genuine passion of sexual violence and the spirit of evil. But, my brothers, it's a sin if you don't follow my teaching. I have a vision from the devil. I am the gatekeeper. One of the fantastic scenes in the IFD um, uh, section is uh, the glimpse we get into the... Uh, Holy, what was it? The Holy Cheever Church, was that it? <laughs> yes, Holy Cheever Church, because there was uh, the first clue that they had uh, that Catman and his buddy have is um, uh, the initials HCC. And uh, Gus says, you know, that could be anything. That could be uh, uh, Ham and Cheese Club or <laughs> uh, like Hot Clam Chowder. I like that dialogue. I said that was actually funny. It, that was good. No, I actually, the, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that bit because I had forgotten it. But we get a glimpse into that lair, so uh, do you remember offhand or have any notes on the design and the contents and the vile language of this <laughs> of this scene in, set in this lair of uh, that Cheever, uh, where, where he holds court? They're trying to make it as scuzzy as possible, certainly the language and, uh, and the mentioning of the kinds of things that they do, <laughs> uh, rape and whatnot. But uh, it really is like you took uh, somebody's den or garage and uh with a budget of about twelve dollars um put as much stuff in there as you could but no real overarching like it doesn't look very menacing or very like no, no it's, it, i mean it's, it's supposed to be a satanic hideout but it looks like the the twelve dollar version of the foot clan hangout in teenage mutant ninja turtles the first one yeah you you put it brilliantly that's that's exactly what it is but it, it's white walls and a sheet with a with like a skull thing drawn on it and uh we, we got some um punching bags hanging so that people can fight because they're bad guys and that's that's about someone it someone playing with a light or a spray can and fire 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 oh yeah 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 for no reason and then you've got a lady chained up at the top yeah uh, we, we we got some quotes for you from that lady but the, yeah, i remember though the, the satanic like the satan worshiping plot is something they relied on in a few movies uh the um uh the movie crackdown mission um that we talked about briefly uses uh, the Pierre Kirby movie uh, uses um, it's him versus uh, you know uh, Satan worshippers and um, 
Yeah, it's the movie where they took the uh, Taiwanese uh, Miss 45 remake and used that as, as a source movie. So the Satan worshippers are puppeteering her and her uh, 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 vigilante rampage, uh, which is um, I've, I've not seen it in English, but it's it's pretty pretty brilliant uh, the way they do it in Crackdown and Mission. Uh, Kickboxer in Hell, of course. So you got some Satan worshippers there. Uh, so <laughs> I mean that that woman that they've got um, chained up. <laughs> I mean I'm I'm, I'm I'm, I'm glad we have the movie to, you know, to to play like the sample because I could never do it justice. What she, she details a history of um, abuse that she's endured. <laughs> I mean, she's been she's been raped by a lot of men over and over again. This dialogue is way more foul, so you you'll get to hear it. And uh, but I love. After she's detailed all of that, like, uh, because she's been raped since she was 13. <laughs> and this is an older woman. She's in her mid 30s, I think. And she says at the very tail end of all that graphic dialogue about all the abuse she's, get, she's gone through, she caps it off with, I think I'm doing my very best. <laughs> she's been a devotee, essentially. This little cunt has aroused the rage of our Lord. I've always been a loyal follower. Since I was raped by you when I was 13, and I've been fucked by your brothers one after another, again and again, I think I'm doing my very best. I mean, this, this rocks. This is absolutely foul and violent, so R-rated like you read about, even NC-17 rated, if, you, if, if this was ever going to be presented before the ratings board. It's... It's great. It's uh, it's worth it. Like uh, the few minutes that are worth it, this uh, this includes it. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like you want to. Tell, it's so vile and graphic that dialogue that she where she t- tells the story. It's almost like you want to turn it off. It's so off-putting what they've scripted uh, because it's so forced and so kind of like where did that come from? It's not like we've had this like Scorsese like barrage of f-bombs and fuck this and fuck that you know this is just out of the blue and you kind of go ooh you know uh but i don't know it's fun it's fun and obviously catman bursts onto the scene uh eventually because they uh after they consulted the cat computer or what have you i guess they found uh, out where this hideout is and uh you know you know I i saw one batman reference i think in this scene where the sacrificial uh well C word hmm. uh, sprays Catman and uh, and the Gus or Sam with uh, you know uh, some spray and they they are knocked out uh, after that. Uh, uh, I thought that was a very like Batman sixties moment. That yeah, it is rather. But uh, it's not like they make it a very uh, light and colorful and groovy atmosphere just because of it. It's just a minor referencing thing. But uh, yeah, <laughs> when you were watching this scene, we we're almost like to the point like I better turn it down. I think. If my wife hears what I'm watching, it's it's gonna be trouble, you know. No, my wife my wife was watching with me. Okay, <laughs> so that's rather foul mouthed. <laughs> you know, you're gonna talk about that on a podcast? Yes, we're gonna sample it too. So th- that's really the end of my notes. I mean, the finale is again the IFT finale is uh, nothing nothing big or super memorable and what have you. They rig up some um, there's some gunplay, so they rig up some squips, which was not a given in uh, these movies. And uh, Catman transforms uh, while running, which is. Uh, w- the only transformation sequence we get in this movie it doesn't run into a phone booth or anything. You're, you're, you're being awfully kind about calling it a transformation. <laughs> what, what would you call it? Crap? An edit. <laughs> Iskar runs into the camera 
when the camera flips uh, the angle, he's uh, he's in his regular clothes, runs into the camera, cut to him running away from the camera in his Catman wear, and uh, yeah, that's it. But it's a special effects direction, Ed. Yeah, I'm sorry, you're right. That is special effects. Watch your lips, shithead, or I'll put you over my knee and spank your bottom for you. I'm going to burn you alive. I always liked hot pussy. Any, any notes from the finale as such that you thought were fake? That was a burst of fun for a millisecond. No, it, it was just, it was so dull. And in fact, it, it um, all right. The only thing that I, that comes to me is the fact that he wins, uh, Catman wins by taking the cat logo off of his glasses and throwing it at the villain like a dart and it goes into his head or something and, and kills him. And then it immediately ends. Yes. Like, I mean, not even, not even the walking away and then cut to the title card, just... Uh, emblem stuck in his head done yep you know who, who doesn't love that that you're out of the movie quickly you know <laughs> police doesn't arrive or anything it's just not even like the the bruce lee movie freeze frame on the death blow and then yeah. the end just the end yeah it's the sole cat gadget that it has you know it's an explosive uh, I don't know. I've written cat cat gadget ex- exploding, but I, I don't think it exploded necessarily. But it is a quick. It, do, it does in this in this sequel. Right, right. Oh yeah, gotcha. Uh, yeah, but it's it's a it's a brief final fight when he does face off against the Cheever. You know, I, I've, I've written down the beats here, even though they might not not make sense. But you know, uh, my notes literally go: go to hell, fucker, punch, shot, catch bullet, the end. That's accurate. Yeah. So he said, "Go to hell, fucker, punch, shot, the end." <laughs> yeah, so they are. It's a, a few minutes, uh, definitely worth it if you're interested in uh, what a IFT superhero movie would look like. And uh, if I'm being totally honest, uh, you don't need more than the first movie. But uh, we've we've uh, taken upon it upon ourselves to talk of the second movie too. But uh, if you if I'm being truly honest, I recommend seeing the Catman scenes out of uh, Lethal Track. But uh, don't go into Boxer Blow; you'll only be disappointed. So as for availability. Uh, Eden Entertainment put out both this and the Catman sequel on DVD, but I don't know if Eden Entertainment are an official company as, or, or if this is a legit release or not, but it's the one that I have. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a DVD-R of it, I should say, but uh, it's the one that we watched. It's full screen, not the greatest quality, but watchable for sure for, uh, for reviewing purposes. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to uh, talk of it at all if, if it was completely destroyed in the video transfer but it's uh, it's what it is kind of what it deserves as well you know so uh, so that's that's it i suppose that little track put to bed you know in all honesty would you if you found a youtube compilation of the catman scenes which sometimes happens on youtube they just take the godfrey Ho scenes and splice them together that would be fun to rewatch at least you know those 10 minutes yes i would i would i would absolutely recommend those 10 minutes it feels even less than 10 minutes in Boxer Blow. They just are MIA for a lo- much part of the movie, but uh, there you are. We'll talk of the uh, continued adventures of Sam and Gus. You know, I mean, spoiler, it looks like uh, Gus, Kenneth Goodman, dies at the end of the first one. But he's back, and he's fine. He's absolutely fine. And I don't know if that made sense. Uh, maybe he was, in, in the finale of the first one, maybe he was really, like, shot up and clearly, conclusively, dead but in the in the second one he's back you know strong as an ox uh so there we are that's it uh so we'll take a break in the u.s catman 2 boxer blow coming at you and uh that's all you need to hear about it <laughs> you know that's uh, we, we can say that already don't watch it <laughs> uh but uh, listen to our discussion after a break 
So, welcome back. And the final movie is the final movie in the Catman Saga. Here is Catman 2, Boxer Blow from 1990. And plot from, uh, what's his name? Hey, Movore Rex at IMDb. That's his username. So, thankfully, he could write the plot for me because I couldn't. Um, I couldn't. That's, uh, it was too uh, complex or too uh, poorly made. So here we go. Following the death of Cheever, uh, the satanic priest Cheever, there is a new opening for one of his followers to take his place. Sure enough, via a series of vicious boxing duels, a chap called Hugh assumes the mantle. It now once again falls upon unlikely superhero Catman and his friend Gus, and this is Jonathan Iskar and Goodman reprising their roles. It's up to them to finish the group once and for all. Matters are certainly not helped by the particularly awful Thai action drama into which the new Catman-less scenes are edited. Sure, there's plenty of fights in it. Actually, that's all the protagonist seems to do, in fact. Which is not a good grade, actually. It's not like, oh, great, they throw themselves off moving trucks. You know, all the movie. No, they, they don't do that either. It's not Kickboxer King does. And my brief opinion of Boxer Blow... If Kickbox of a Champion from last episode represented a low in like coherency level of these cut and paste movies, this is bottom of the barrel stuff even for IFD aficionado like me. You know, I, that was coherence in gold. Kickbox of a Champion versus this, you know, because you watch and listen, you understand the words, but not an iota of what's going on, you know. And there's too much dull tie action here, and apparently immense plot, you know, some global, like, almost Armageddon-like plot or what have you, that never shows itself. And here's the key to, key to why this doesn't work. Too little Catman. Uh, so that, that's my brief opinion. What did you think of Boxer Blow, other than that, that you kind of agree with me? <laughs> I, I was going to say, that's the first thing. I, and, um, you know, there's a one one particular thing kind of stuck out at me, is that they this is the first time that I'm aware of that IFD really made a proper sequel. You know, there's there's a million American Commando, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, things like that. Um, Operation Ninja, 78, who knows. Um but this is a legit actual sequel. And for the sequel, they chose another um, uh, Sorapang Chhatri film. And I thought, well, what if what if you like did the work and made it the same character or something and tried to really integrate them somehow? Um, but yeah, of course not. Why would they do that? No, I mean, the work is <laughs> they've acquired it. That's enough work. You know, mm-hmm. let's just cut it out. I mean, yeah, he's in it. But uh, I, I got to tell you, I mean, I found it hard to like spot the fact that if Chattery is in it a lot or just... I have a feeling he wasn't in it a lot. I mean, because there are so many characters in the time movie. Like, so get in, that get introduced one by one, one by one. Like, who are we supposed to follow? And uh, it's uh, just a refresh. This original movie that we don't know the title of, it never received an English export title. It's available on Thai VCD or was. And uh, again, Jesus Perez Molina provided us with a scan of the beautiful original poster art for the Thai action movie and you'll get uh, to see that in the show post links on podcastonfire.com certainly looks big but it's pretty limp and I mean it starts with again uh, see a sequence from the Thai movie you know more limp Thai gunplay 
it's near, it's almost a similar scene. Uh, no, no, not really, but it involves a bus to a degree. Like uh, the first movie in the source movie for Lethal Track was, um, I believe, a robbery of a bus of some kind. And here, here we get a prison breakout in the first scene. So, you know, I'm stretching it. You know, a vehicle opens the movie, <laughs> essentially. Uh, and it kind of looks effectively, effectively grittier at first as we, we see the prisoners escape and then trying to, uh, do, you know, uh, get out of their chains or what have you. So it, the look of it kind of comes through like, yeah, I like the gritty look of it. That kind of just uh, crashes and uh, burns and what have you. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it doesn't last that effect. That, that, that's like the tie opening and, uh, it's funny when you look at the, uh, the IFD footage, the opening kickboxing uh, scene. Uh, it's clear that the production of Lethal Track and Boxer Blow took place quite near each other because some of the characters, like the thieves, uh, that uh, tried to rob the, the uh, truck with the radioactive cat in the first movie, at least one of them turns up here and he's wearing the exact same outfit. Oh, nice catch. I did not notice no, that. No, you know, the acid wash jeans and what have you. And, uh, oh, man. So, That's just what everyone wore in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, apparently. I, I, you know, I was a kid back then. And that, that never was the fashion amidst kids anyway. So It was it was interesting seeing that scene because, I, you know, one, I had flashbacks to kickboxer movies from IFD. Uh, and it's it was kind of neat because they're doing this kickboxing match and you're thrust right into the middle of it. So you don't know what's going on or what's at stake. But clearly but it's it's in this dingy kind of warehouse lights off mostly and they've constructed this kickboxing ring um from scratch with uh, just um uh like trash barrels and uh and rope so it's not meant to be a real thing it's sort of extra underground looking and so forth and i was thinking cool there's you know some sort of underground kickboxing thing going on all right and uh when the winner is finally uh, announced, he doesn't get money, he gets a letter. <laughs> and the letter says, congratulations on becoming the new leader of our organization. We have to go do this thing now. And it was, it's not until later that you realize that what they've done is they have crowned a new leader of the Holy Cheever Church. <laughs> I thought, well, all right, cool callback, but what? Congratulations to our new leader. Bear in mind we haven't contributed to the world for long and God will punish us. Now the Thai government is bringing in a pretty amount of uranium from the States. We sure can make a far better use of it than the Thais. You know, and here's the exposition dump again. They, I had to rewind. I kind of make basic notes of what the letter contains because they just read it off. Boom. Next, next Thai scene, you know. It's, uh, you know, at least it's not as later in the film where two characters are just dumping exposition again by just talking to each other at a fairly scenic uh, 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 place in Hong Kong, but it's it's that you know lack of uh, making even the basic plot coherent. Or maybe I'm just bad at picking up that stuff. I don't know, but it's it seems like it's literally a exposition dump. Just dump it here and get it over with, you know, so we can make the movie, so to say. <laughs> but it's the problem. You can't make the movie when it's not coherent uh, in a in a good fashion. It's no easy job, man. A woman from Thailand got a starter from a nuclear bomb. Don't ask me how. Anyway, she's got it, and with one wrong step, she could blow up the whole world. Her name is Pandora, right? No, Sandra. But she promised to sell a starter to the Cheever gang, but we're ten times better. We offered a higher price for it, and she's turned to our side. Uh, by the way, Bruce Fontaine is uh, one of the uh, 
fighters here in the kickboxing scene. So we've seen him three times now. Um, Kickboxer King and in the first Catman movie, he's uh, one of the thieves. Uh, no, 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 he's uh, one, the guy who transfers. Uh, transports uh, the radioactive cat, and he turns up as a kickboxer here. So, uh, which which one is he? Uh, he's, he's the he's the guy in Kickboxer King who took all the enhancement uh, drugs. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, which which one is he? And uh, he he was the um, opponent that uh, won first, and then the guy who ultimately wins the letter defeats him. Okay, so yeah, here's the thing. His character is called Cobra, and that's awesome. That's a great that that's a great name. Uh, and then he is defeated by his opponent named Hugh. <laughs> I was like, okay, so the leader of your organization is not going to be named Cobra in this film. It's going to be named Hugh. There's your problem. <laughs> okay. Or Steve or Quint or Jeff or Tad. I would have taken Rodney or Janet at that point, you know. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Everyone here has had his chance. Knows who's got the guts and come up. Here comes Hugh. Hey, Hugh! Can you even, like... I try to make sense of the basic nature of what the movie's plot is and kind of how they're interacting. I mean, there was something about uranium and something supplying to Thai gorilla, or what's going on here? So my my understanding of it is that um, uh, it's it's the trafficking of uranium uh, through Thai uh, from America to Thailand and from Thailand to buyers in Arabia. And that's about all I know. Yeah, and and then you get about fifteen Thai characters having to do something with each other in this plot, you know. And again, it's dubbed in rather than um, they don't interact either. In this movie, there's no phone calls, there's no uh, office scenes where where Bruce Fontaine is sitting on one side and the Thai actor is sitting on the other side. There's no such thing here. There's so many threads here. That, that you know, that's the problem. Even the poster promises a lot of characters, and uh, the Thai poster that it delivers. It delivers a bunch of characters, you know. They, there sure are actors in this movie. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I don't know. Again, Sora Pongchatri kind of drowns uh, there for in the, like, the uh, cast here. And uh, and all, all of the problems surrounding this boredom, uh, or rather what adds to the boredom and the confusion of who who is who and who is doing what, is the fact that there's no Catman until way after the 30-minute mark. Would I prefer? Hey, uh, Jonathan Jonathan Isgard does not appear until 37 minutes in. Catman does not appear until 47 minutes in, which is past the halfway point. <laughs> not even like a, a, a pre-credits tease or whatever. I'm back now, viewers. <laughs> or just or just you know like putting the putting footage from the first one underneath the credits, uh, like they did for um, oh Golden Ninja Warrior. You know that stance was uh, obviously clearly um, taken by Christopher Nolan as well, who viewed Boxer Blow and did the same for Dark Knight Rises by not introducing Batman until the 45-minute mark. (laughs) It's pretty similar in, um, what is it, Batman Returns, right? Like, Batman does not appear forever. I don't remember Returns, to be honest. There is a while since I watched that, but uh, yeah, you're you're probably right. It's a lot of Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, what have you. Now, let me me summarize the first several scenes of the uh, Thai movie. Uh, just so that you get a sense of of what it is that we're we're talking about, uh, some guy says to some other guy, uh, "I need you to go and infiltrate this organization and join this group and sabotage it." Okay, I'm gonna go do that. All right, I need you to start, go into this group and sabotage it and or get into this organization. And this guy's looking for for people for his group, so go do that. All right, this guy is going into this organization to infiltrate it and join this group. You need to join his group. I mean, 
Listen. Oh my God! Stop. I mean, at some at some point, like mid movie, they. I don't know who they were, if they were at the beginning of the movie or if they were introduced late, but at some point, Jared's guys are looking for John. And John's family doesn't like him being a gangster. So there's a family drama going on here. Apparently, there's a family drama, too. Like, it's it's like, it must be present in the Thai movie, this avalanche of just characters coming at us i mean why on earth would you have so many people prominently on the poster if you would only feature two of them you know it it seemed like a very packed movie and i doubt it would be 100 percent coherent in original thai dialogue and on its own merits so to say but uh, uh, even that family drama that that's there but I'm, I'm i'm just because i got that doesn't mean the whole movie transformed into a coherent experience or anything. It's just one of many, one of many characters. <laughs> uh, and, I, and, and again, where is Sora Pong Chatri amidst all this? Is one of the guys sent in to get to infiltrate the group, I guess. But then again, I don't know. And if you can't spot Sora Pong Chatri, which is uh, a charismatic guy and a fairly good actor and a, you know a star, if you can't spot him, then, then you're on a downhill, you, you know, downhill slide. Um, I think at one point, or maybe that was the first movie, I don't know, they, it threatened to be kind of a buddy cop thing uh, with him teaming up with, uh, maybe that was the motorbike lady, woman, girl in the first one, maybe. Uh, no, I think there was, there was a brief moment of team up because they're like, ah, oh, you, you're not a, uh, and the, some guy in the middle is like, no, 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 this is so-and-so from such-and-such, and like, oh, let's team up, okay. As a matter of fact, I've been called bastard, scumbag, and dickhead, but never asshole. <laughs> I don't know why. You use it for talking. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think you better wipe your chin. This whole place is beginning to stink. You know, you should put some patties on your head to cover your shit face. Very indistinct. And I mean, I, again, every like the extras and henchmen, everybody shows up again in their casual clothes. And uh, it, again, the, the, the low budget and the, the grit... Uh, present in the standing original locations doesn't translate into gritty action, you know, and a gritty tone. There's more fighting here, and they try to make these brawls, you know, gritty and powerful, but it's still very boring. I mean, it's it needed a panaritic cry kind of punch up this, I think. Yeah, but they, uh, a, a lot of characters that you don't know about, and uh, there's no emotional investment and no sort of coherency here. That's when even good action can be really boring if you can't connect ever so slightly even to uh, what's going on. And the muddled nature may not entirely be the time movie's fault. As I, I've seen IFT take storylines from the original and then do do the cut and paste thing uh, and dub it over themselves. And, and all of a sudden the original footage as presented by IFT is really, really incoherent all of a sudden. I've seen examples of that, so maybe IFT really did a number on this. Uh, I don't know, but... Uh, uh, what else is there? Uh, blah, 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 blah. You know, yeah, there's no tense gangster drama beats here at all. I mean, it wants to be dark gangster warfare, the Thai movie, but uh, it, it's surrounded by this big world threat plot, it seems, with uranium kind of threatening to do the world into, and uh, it, it's, it, it never translates. And, uh, and the problem also with the Catman footage, the little of it that we do get, is that it's not, it's not fun. They take themselves... Uh, they, they eject the light tone and do an almost fairly serious tone here. 
which kind of just makes the Catman footage, you know, limp too. No, I absolutely I agree with you. I mean, the, the it's not like there's a lot of of lightness to the first one, but uh, whatever there was has been scrubbed out, and it's kind of uh, it's more military in tone this time around. Yeah. I mean, the only light moment I can remember, that, that and a brief moment during the end uh, where they're tied up to the poles. But uh, a prior moment is when they meet this very, <laughs> this character who uh, appears very briefly and then dies a minute later called Sandra, I believe. And they meet her like, oh, you look prettier than in your picture. And so he's a little bit of a womanizer, a cat man or Sam. But uh, that's all the light stuff you need. And one minute later, this Sandra character is stabbed to death while uh, talking to someone uh, fishing. Right, right after uh, Catman and Gus say, "No, don't go in there. It's dangerous. <laughs> you're, you're you're just a woman." And she and she says in the flattest delivery I've ever heard in my life, "I will prove to you what a woman can do." <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the performance and the dollars they had and got, and uh, that's that's what the movie is uh, is infused with, I suppose. Um, okay, but you got to be real careful. Don't worry, I can handle it. I will prove to you what a woman can do. I'll go there myself. I don't want them to be suspicious. I mean, the IFD scenes break up the monotony, but it it, it doesn't save uh, save this movie from a very dull, in, almost fully incoherent grade in terms of uh, my view on it. It's um, it's uh, it's not good. It's not worth a watch. I mean, I I, I like uh, when they're tied tied up at the end. They have some banter about Sam. Like they they talk about the mom or dad's cooking. Or... Yeah, their last meal and how their parents cooked. Uh, so that so they're trying, I think, to have this. I don't know, some kind of like forty-eight hours, like lethal weapon, like banter back and forth between two buddies. I had a great meal last night. Oh yeah, what'd you have? Spaghetti and meatballs, just like my mom used to make. What did your mom used to make? She made my father cook. Was your father a good cook? Yeah, if you like butter and toast. Yep, he used to like to cook that every meal. Uh, it obviously doesn't work at all. I mean, there's no charisma here in either performer. They're trying their, their, their best, uh, I'm sure, but uh, it's they're, they're not uh, trained comedians or actors, uh, so it kind of comes off as forced. Uh, um, the only thing I like about uh, whatever went on in the action finale at IFT uh, is uh, the the doubling of Jonathan Iskar. Um, they uh, provide probably a Chinese stuntman for the scene where he runs away from multiple explosions. Yes, I'm glad you caught that too. And Jonathan Iskar has, he doesn't even look blonde. He looks like, his hair looks white. Uh, at least the video transfer makes it look like that. He's blonde in the Filmark movies that I talked about earlier, so maybe maybe it's actually blonde. But uh, regardless, when he's running away from those uh, tiny explosions, uh, um, and he's not running away, he's jogging away from them, uh, you clearly see a stuntman who is has entirely entirely dark hair, like midnight black hair. Yes, <laughs> but but even big Hong Kong movies did very very poor doubling, and they they just went on with it and uh, kind of just you know they, they, there's a movie called uh, Writing Wrongs, aka Above the Law. Um, Yun Bu stars in it with Cynthia Rothrock, and at one point Yun Bu uh, doubles uh, Cynthia Rothrock for a roundhouse kick or what have you, and you, that quick cut, even though it's less than a second, is uh, you you can clearly see the face of you 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 know never mind the hair that also turns That's from blonde funny. to obviously a, a chinese man's dark hair uh so sometimes they just didn't uh, you know in in if the story is good and the characters are good and you're having fun then who cares 
you know, I mean, like, you know, if, if, uh, obviously, you know, you want it to match, but, you know, if it doesn't, no one's going to really care that much if, if they're having a good time and no one's having a good time by the final reel of Boxer Blow. No, not really. I mean, the, the only fun thing I had aside from that, um, stunt, uh, horrible stunts is the fact that, hey, that wood area that they're in, I recognize that wood area. I've seen that in a bunch of movies by now because it, it's so clear that they're in, the same patch of woods, you know, a little uh, like a uh, like a little, little outside Hong Kong, uh, you know, Kickboxer from Hell. I kind of recognize the opening of that. They set in the same wood area that uh, the finale takes place in. What have you? So it's like, hey, I recognize that. This is still not fun. Right now, you, you know, you bring up a um, you brought up earlier uh, an, uh, a fun point, which is that uh, Gus is back. He apparently was not fatally wounded, even though he was clearly fatally wounded. Uh, and uh, they hand wave that at the beginning of this one where he's meeting with his boss and the boss says, so how are you doing? How's how's your healing? And he's like, oh, it's it's all better. I'm fine. <laughs> and he like I think he like gestures to his arm or something. Oh, good. I'm glad that that fatal wound wasn't serious. It also seems that Gus has gotten a promotion because he started out as a clerk in the previous film, like not an agent, not someone who actually did like spy work, uh, just a clerk. And this time around, he's a full-fledged agent going in and doing missions and being the man for the job, which uh, is kind of funny. It must be the fact that he knows Catman. He's the only one who knows Catman, really. I don't think Catman has built up a rep or anything. It's not like uh, they're popular. It's like, ooh, who's Catman? Who is he? Who might he be? That's a good point. <laughs> it's not like he works at the, da- like the daily newspaper or anything. But you do bring, but uh, you you started to bring up the, uh, one of the things that I thought was the most memorable and interesting parts of the entire film, and it's it's sort of almost throwaway. But uh, in the final reel during the last battle between good guys and bad guys, Gus gets completely shot up, just way way shot up all over the place, you know, all through the back and like a hundred million bullets. And uh, you're like, oh well, now he now, now he's dead. They're doing, they're, yeah, now now he's dead. They're not even like giving us like making a question about it. Like, cue Catman free. How are you feeling this time? Well, I'm pretty good now. <laughs> right. And uh, and so the the bad guys come up to him with their guns, and they're like, up. Oh, now looks like he's dead. And then they walk off, and he's not. He's alive. He had a bulletproof vest on. I thought you got me, <laughs> Catman too. You actually got me. <laughs> good for you. You have you had one moment in your entire movie. Good job. And then it ended very quickly, as as per usual, and we were out. You know, eighty six minutes later. You know, uh, mm-hmm. they were very calculated. These movies, the ninety minute, uh, depending on the speed, uh, the NTSC speed or pulse speed, but ninety minutes where they kind of uh, they were aiming for that, and sometimes you know, scarily accurate. You know, fifty eight, fifty nine, yeah. But here it's like mm-hmm. eighty six minutes or so. We, uh, we don't care. We we don't have we don't have anything else. <laughs> you know, we're done. At least we get the walk off this time. Yes, it's like good good job, Catman. Yeah, good job, Gus. Yeah, an- another evil dictator defeated in like the goofiest voice because that's his hero voice, I guess. Yeah, that's kind of amusing. That you, you as dubbed when he is not Catman, it's almost just like. You just said, but it's like added upon about ten or twenty percent extra when he is Catman, you know, being very heroic and posing very heroically. You have you have to imagine though that when everyone else is dead and Gus is just standing like next to him, he's got to be saying like, "Look, Sam, it's just me." He's like, "Yes, I know it is you, friend, <laughs> friend Gus." Like, Sam, drop the. It's there's no one else around. <laughs> no, we have defeated them all. Sam, for the love of ah, oh, I'm going home. 
the end and a red title card yeah, too. Yes. Like, uh, I love that they, we rarely got a like uh, okay, a black a black screen and the end over there. It's fine, you know, red title card and white letters. The end. Nin- Ninja the Protector, I think, had blue. And you, and you went with blue in Ninja Mission Four, so you know, at least in the first season. I think. <laughs> first season, okay. Oh, because that, that was the uh, that was the end the the, uh, the credits. I think we went for a red title card in in the actual the end screen at the end of the season. This is not not that it's important in the least, but I bet it required a, a meeting, a multiple meetings, four five four five hour sessions to determine what makes the best impact. You know, as a yes, of course. So, uh, you know, you gotta sell it as a as a big uh, <laughs> a big production meeting type of uh, type type of production. You know, we focus in on every area. You know, fully. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, costume design and color design. You may, yeah, color palette. Yes, indeed. Uh, but yeah, that's a that's scrap boxer blower. There. If you're curious about Catman, for heaven's sake, don't go with boxer blower. It doesn't contain any of the fun that the character clearly could bring, as orchestrated by IFD and Alton Chung. That is present in Lethal Track. Again, only during their scenes, but a lot present almost all throughout the IFD scenes. All of them, almost all of them, are really really fun. And um, boxer blower. Just um, is deflated in every way, including uh, including in Alton Jones, very uh, very limp scenes. And uh, yeah, we talked of two free fun moments. It's not enough to sit through, so I wouldn't recommend doing it. You know, if you're seriously curious about these two movies, uh, then you are as uh, diehard as I am, I suppose, or we are. But uh, no, Lethal Track will do, and uh, then you're done with uh, IFD superhero history. You can return to. All of the ninja stuff, because uh, even the worst ninja stuff, <laughs> I don't know, it's a little bit better, I think, than Boxer Blow. Certainly easier to follow. Uh, as for availability, same here. As I said, Eden Entertainment put out this and the first Catman movie on DVD. I have no idea if, they're, if they are official or legit releases, but uh, it's what we have. Uh, same here, it's full screen. Um, not the greatest quality, but it is watchable for sure, and uh, we got through it. Uh, we could have a discussion about it, therefore it's uh, sufficient for um, for the material. I mean, the greater Ninja movies, or the greater IFD movies in general, you know, the widescreen format really enhances some of them, you know, the ones that are really, really good. Uh, not that they framed it, you know, expertly, but... You'd want to watch Ninja Terminator widescreen when you realize how good it is, you know, and uh, you'd want to have the Garfield phone frame not be as tight. You just you you just realize how much of a service that does for a movie. In all honesty, it really does, and um, yeah, because a cropping of a Garfield phone is uh, is a crime. So it's yes, criminal. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, next episode, uh, we end this first basic run-through of IFT history, uh, you know, with discussion of some of their ninja movies, their history, their kickboxing movies, their superhero movies, and uh, we end it with a more detailed look at how a Source movie plays out versus when that same movie is edited into and chopped up. That's uh, edited into a ninja action movie, as uh, as it is uh, chopped up in the process. In in the case of this one, it had Richard Harrison scenes added into it and, and the likes. And uh, what that all means is that we'll look at Tommy Lee's 1984 Taiwanese actioner To Catch a Thief, starring Don Wong, Yasuke Karata, and featuring ninjas on roller skates uh, chasing uh, Don Wong in a car. That's the original, and what we'll be looking at at the same time, or maybe we'll discuss them very separately, 
we'll be looking at Ninja Thunderbolt from the same year, 1984. And this is special because IFD had done cut and paste before in Mission Thunderbolt. And I think uh, Majestic Thunderbolt possibly was out that year too, or one of these Thunderbolt movies. But regardless, this was the first one, Ninja Thunderbolt days, where ninjas were introduced in IFD, at IFD. And this started their longest run of, uh, you know, cut and paste movies with a theme. And it started their run of exploiting Richard Harrison's footage, uh, obviously, that, um, yeah, he uh, he got to be in more movies than agreed upon in that story we've we've told before. But here's the first one. The the fun thing with To Catch a Thief, if you look it up on uh, YouTube or uh, type in Godfrey Ho or what have you, you end up uh, at this action scene where... Ninjas on roller skates are chasing uh, this Chinese man in the car. And I think maybe not as as much misinfo has been spread about this scene, but I think somehow the populace of the internet also think that this is Godfrey Ho working his magic. And that, that would be quite a feat because it features the main character from the original film. So I I don't know how Godfrey Ho would have pulled that off. Yeah, that, that, that would be the best example of uh, cutting and pasting, if you will. But yeah, that's from the Taiwanese movie. And, uh, you know, Joseph Lai and IFT had ninjas on their mind. This movie has had them already. So that would make the job a little bit more easier. And uh, we can smoothly integrate the movies that way and it's a fantastic little action scene that uh, To Catch a Feet produces and that ended up uh, in season 2 of the Ninja Mission Force uh, as you did a, a similar chase scene uh, not with a similar car uh, but uh, no but but it, but an equally ridiculous yes, car yes indeed <laughs> you you off the ante a little bit more so uh, so that was fun uh, fun to see that and uh, I, I like that piece of referencing because I like To Catch a Feet as a movie I think it's a pretty fun pretty fun little Taiwanese movie so we'll be looking at both because I think uh, at one point it deserves to really, um, you know, that discussion deserves to have a place where you kind of examine and look at how the original movie, in terms of its quality, how it was in terms of its quality, but also how it plays out as, you know, reassembled or retooled by IFT. It can be quite an interesting experience. And uh, for the record, I think uh, Ninja Thunderbolt is... Uh, while not one of the greatest, but still pretty fun. And uh, it's the first one, too. So if you're interested in the IFD films and arts history, this is one of the ones that you got to watch. Yeah, must watch, absolutely. I don't think the Garfield phone ended up in this one, though. I think, uh, and Nora... No, that wasn't until later. And Nora and Ninja Headbands, that was also later. Mm-hmm. It's the start of the uh, legacy, if you will. But there was there was plenty of guy liner. Yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, all right, uh, this all doesn't mean that the Golden Ninja podcast is ending after this episode, but uh, we, we, we've done the basic overview, and after that we'll be able to pick more freely and wildly, if you will, and certainly bring in Filmark at some point, because uh, the energy that uh, Filmark uh, introduced via movies such as Robo Vampire, you know, it, it will be hard to do in a podcast, but we got to hammer home the point that if you look at Ninja Terminator and Robo Vampire, two good ones, you got to see that this is not similar energy. You know, the Godfrey Ho has his fine energy down, you know, to a T in Ninja Terminator, but he wasn't able to do what Robo Vampire presents before us. It's another level of mad. And the thing is, we don't know. Who, who did Robo Vampire? It's only a, like a westernized credit, obviously, but it's way different if you really look at it. I'm, I'm convinced if people really took the time to look at it, they'll see that, ah, that's pretty dumb to say that this is Godfrey Ho's Robo Vampire. You know what I mean? 
Oh yes, and, I, and I've said that myself many times. They're they're totally different animals. And the Filmark movies, if we just talk even the basic ninja movies, they, they were I liked them because they were ever so more crappy for some reason. They they got e- even more random performers it seems, and they were the energy was a little bit different. Sometimes a little bit more crappier, but also a little bit more fun because of it. And uh, and as I said before, some movies featured epic action finales, you know, five, seven, eight-minute action finales, whereas IFT did their two, three, maybe one-minute action finales sometimes. But, um, yeah, mm-hmm. It's good. That'll be for episode five, and then the series is open for uh, its playtime in the series, if you will, after that. So uh, we'll uh, check that out next episode. But uh, in the meantime, this has been the Golden Ninja Podcast on the Podcast on Fire Network. Uh, we have uh, podcastonfire.com as our main home, if you will, and bonus episodes are available there as well, exclusively for the website. Email us if you have any questions or feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Like our page at Facebook, facebook.com forward slash PUF Network. Follow the link to the discussion group if you want to interact and uh, join that. And you can also type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search bar to find a group. Tweet us or follow our tweets at twitter.com forward slash Podcast on Fire. My writing, Taiwanese movies, Ninja Exploitation, uh, Hong Kong, uh, Rotiga and Adult Movies, SoGoodReviews.com and SleazyKVideo.com for the video reviews. And my tweets at twitter.com forward slash SoGoodReviews. We are available on iTunes. Uh, rate and subscribe if you want to follow us. And uh, if you have the time, please uh, just uh, spend two minutes writing uh, about uh, the show. G- give us a good, honest uh, review. And I guarantee you, it only takes one or two sentences and iTunes will approve it. Uh, that's enough for a review. So please take the time and uh, help us out that way. And thank you very much for that. And uh, finally, Stitcher Radio is uh, your place for uh, streaming the Golden Ninja podcast if you don't want to download podcasts to your device or computer. Available online on their site, but also through the application available on iPod, Android, or iPhone, of course. And finally, from my side, check out the link to Weird Cinema Episode 1, IFT Films and Art, the great Lord Joshua Regals uh, from This Week in Sleaze, his documentary on IFT history. now in uh, in YouTube documentary form, and uh, he did a, did a really good job researching it and providing as much correct info as he could. Hopefully, all is correct, but I think uh, this is a, uh, another good thing to have out there because a lot of misinfo is out there, and uh, whatever we can do in podcast form is helps eradicate that misinfo. And Weird Cinema episode one is doing its thing, eradicating that as well. And uh, finally, add your plugs again before we are out of here. Absolutely. You can find uh, me along with my films and web series at neonharbor.com, uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash neonharbor, and on Twitter at neon underscore harbor. And that is us. And uh, it won't apply for this episode, but uh, next episode, because you know by now how this episode ends, so uh, it's, uh, it's weird to have someone proclaiming they're the greatest ninja warrior, but next episode... We're back, and therefore this particular ending will uh, will make sense. So remember, I am the champion of the ninjas. 